Good morning, my name is Mark, and it's a delight to be with you and to worship with you as we glorify our great God today together. And, you know, let me just say I love these Christmas decorations that are out. Don't they look great? Yeah, it's really, really pretty. Our family went out of town for a few days, and so when we left, when we left the city, there were no decorations here in the church. And when we returned back yesterday afternoon, everything was decorated. So it's like magic for us. But, um, but it looks great, thanks, I know, to our women's ministry and, and our staff team who got all of this done um, this past week. It really is special. Well, this morning we are going to begin our Advent series. And we're going to be spending some time in the opening words of Luke's Gospel over the next few weeks and up through Christmas Eve um, in this series together. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump right in to Luke chapter 1 together. So let's pray. Lord God, we pray this morning that you would speak to us through your word. And even as you spoke to Zechariah, would you give us a renewed vision of your presence with us as we look expectantly to your coming in the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ. And I pray today that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, Lord, would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, and that they would bring you glory and honor. For indeed, you are our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So Luke chapter 1, we're going to be reading there. We're not going to be quite there yet, slide operator. But Luke chapter 1, we're going to be reading there today. This is the, um, this is the opening act, if you will, of the birth narrative of Jesus Christ. And you know what an opening act is? Right? It's like if you go to a concert, you go to see the main band, you know, that's there for the concert. And maybe the concert starts at 8 p.m. I asked getting too late for me, honestly, but you know, maybe it starts at 8 p.m., but then the opening, act, like, the opening act will actually start at 8 p.m. You won't see the main event until maybe 10 o'clock, right? That's the opening act is war- warming you up for the main event. Now, Megan and I learned this in kind of a little bit of a different way when we lived in Bolivia, okay? So we were we were relatively new there, and we were invited to a birthday party. It was just a, a kid's birthday party. I think it was the, the, the first birthday of this child from our congregation, and we were honored to be invited to be a, be a part of this special event. It was a really big party for this, for this one-year-old, and we went to the party. and getting food out. We were part of the opening act for this kid's birthday because the party, the party probably started actually at like 3 o'clock, right? And we were there at 1.15. So we were part of the opening act. I think it's a little bit, bit, I think it's a little bit like that here in Guatemala as well. Maybe more extreme in Bolivia. I'm not sure. We still have a hard time showing up late. But we do our best, 
Okay. <clears throat> well, Luke, Luke has an opening act. Okay. It's the you know the narrative of Luke's gospel. Of course, it is about Jesus Christ. The birth narrative, of course, is about the birth of Jesus. But the name Jesus doesn't even show up for the first thirty verses. And and then Jesus, you know, he's not even born in the first chapter. So there's an opening act in the Gospel of Luke. And to help prepare us, Luke gives us his opening act. He tells us about John the Baptist and John's birth. And then he begins to tell us about Mary's extraordinary pregnancy. And then Jesus' extraordinary birth. That, you know, that's coming at 10 p.m., right? But we're starting here at 8. And it's almost like Luke knew that we needed to get ready. Luke knew that we needed to get prepared, to prepare our hearts and our minds for the incredible gospel story that's going to unfold in the birth and life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that we'll see all through the rest of the gospel. And so he begins with his opening act with this old couple, Zechariah, and Elizabeth, and then ultimately the birth of, of their son, John. Now, the Scripture tells us that Zechariah and Elizabeth were a devout couple. And, you know, they were just sort of going about their normal, everyday life. And then this is what happens. We'll start it today in Luke chapter 1 with verse 5. So Luke chapter 1, verse 5, it says, In the time of King Herod... I'm sorry, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. And so, just a note real quick, this is a pretty impressive resume of righteousness for Zechariah and, and Elizabeth. Righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But, it, but then verse 7, there's a but. right? You can kind of feel there's this but coming. It says, verse 7, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. And they were both very old. Verse 8. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were outside. So we're going to stop there for a moment. I'm going to give a little background. Um, at that time, it's estimated that Israel had maybe somewhere... In the, in the number of 20,000 priests, you know, mas o menos, 20,000 priests. And only a tiny handful of these priests ever were chosen to go in to the Holy of Holies, this very special duty, and to offer this incense and, and worship presence of God. It, it, was a, it was like a once-in-a-lifetime you know, service to do this. And, and they, their name was drawn by Lot. And once your name had been drawn to do this very special duty, then your name was removed from, you know, from the, the lot of names. So it was just a one-time one thing, special opportunity that you could do to go into the very inner part 
of the temple. And so this is a very, very special moment in Zechariah's federal and spiritual life. And so here he is, he's standing in the, the very most holy part of the temple. In front of him is a golden lampstand. There's the great candlestick. On his right is the showbread. And just beyond that, he's going in. It's the veil between, between the temple and the Holy of Holies itself. You know, the most, the most holy and sacred place on earth. Now, as a historical footnote, this temple in Jerusalem that Zechariah would, would be in, would be serving in, this temple was under construction when all of this began, or, or when this was taking place. Construction on that temple began about 20, 20 B.C., and it was completed in about 66 A.D. So as in, like, built a home or maybe had a commercial building for your office or something like that, and you know... You know, there's always the estimate of it's going to, you know, be finished at this time and it's going to cost that much. And, and of course, whenever you do these building projects, it always takes longer than they say it will and it costs more than the estimate. But, but here, you, if you've ever done that, you can kind of like appreciate, you know, the, the, the construction was started in 20 B.C. and finished in the 60s, 80s, a pretty, pretty long construction project. Maybe it was over budget, too. I don't know. But um, that's where Zechariah is doing his priestly duty. And this, the temple, it was a significant place. This was the place that represented the very presence of God among his people. So, for God's people, this was the most special place the most holy place in all, in all of the world. That's where Zechariah is. That's why this is such a big deal for Zechariah, or for any priest for that matter, to, be, to have their name drawn and to go and to offer worship in the Holy of Holies. Now, this is kind of interesting as well. Maybe it's neither here nor there. But Luke's Gospel references the temple more than any of the other Gospel accounts. And Luke's gospel, if you um, if you're if you're like keeping tabs on it, Luke's gospel begins in the temple, and Luke's gospel ends in the temple as well. But here we are; we find we find Zechariah in the temple in Luke's gospel. Now, Zechariah was chosen to go to the holy place. As I said, this was a very rare duty to be called up for, and I'm sure it's something that any priest, and Zechariah would be no exception. Um, would rehearse this moment behind throughout all their years of being a priest, right? How it would feel, what they would do, what prayers they would say, how they would kneel down, how they would offer, offer the, um, the incense. It would be a very heavy bowl of incense they would carry in. And here's this man, he's, he's in his 60s. When his name is finally called, so he's you know he's been serving for many many years, and now his name is finally called, and he and he stands there in this priestly duty, and he's praying prayers that he has waited a lifetime to pray. And there would have been a lot for Zechariah to pray about, beginning with the sense of 
hopelessness among God's people. Ever since the days of King David and the days of King Solomon, it was sort of like Israel had been in decline. And here they are. Here they are. There's been 400 years of silence. And there's a sense of hopelessness among God's people. The king they had now was Herod. Herod wasn't a king that brought much hope to God's people. He was kind of a puppet of Rome. He even oppressed his own people. Now, there were faithful folk among God's people. There were people who sort of um, faintly remembered the promises of Scripture, the promises of, of a king of kings who would be born and who would come to save God's people from their sins, to rescue God's people from their oppressors. But prayers unanswered sometimes become prayers unsaid, right? So there was a hopelessness among God's people. For Zechariah, there was another layer of hopelessness. There was this sense of loss that he and his wife Elizabeth had had not been able to, to bear a child. And so not only were God's people waiting for this king to be born, which had been a prayer unanswered to this point, but Zechariah and Elizabeth were also, they had been waiting for a child to be born. And there was some sense of hopelessness for them as well. Notice the way Luke sets this up. Saw there in verse 6 and 7. Luke says, Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. They were blameless in the sight of God. This was, this was like one righteous couple, but they were childless. Elizabeth could not conceive. The word in Greek is steros, like the, the root of the word sterile. She was barren. She was childless. Now, in the ancient world, barrenness was seen as a disgrace. It was seen as a curse. It was seen as a punishment. I think that's why Luke goes out of his way to sort of raise up their resume of righteousness. Like, this was not because they they were sinful, bad folk. They were very righteous people. But in Rome, for example, a woman's inability to bear children would have been grounds for divorce. Um, The general belief in that culture was that God blessed the righteous with children, but the unrighteous He would curse with barrenness. So being barren was, was seen or believed to be a sign of God's displeasure. And even though Zechariah was a priest... You know, I can imagine that that probably didn't stop people from saying the things that people will say, right? People will gossip, right? I wonder what they did. I wonder what scandal they're hiding. You know, I wonder what sin they've been engaged in. And in fact, later, when Elizabeth learns that she is pregnant, she thanks God that He has shown His favor to her and taken away her disgrace from among the people, So Zechariah, when he goes 
to do this priestly duty, this very special priestly duty in the innermost part of the temple. Listen, he's got a lot to pray about. He's got a lot to pray about there. And this is what happens when he draws near to the Holy of Holies. We're going to pick it up in verse 11. Verse 11 says, um, so Zechariah is in there. He's doing his priestly duty. And then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and he was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear a son. You are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice over his birth, for he will be great in the of the Lord. He will never take wine or any other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go on before the Lord in the spirit and in the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So here we find Zechariah. He is in prayer in the temple and suddenly there's this great flash of light and an angel shows right there before him. We're told that, that Zechariah was gripped with fear. So that is a very common occurrence in the Bible when someone sees an angel, right? They're gripped with fear. And, and it's probably, he probably thinks he knows where this story is going, right? He's heard the stories about other priests. They've gone into the Holy of Holies. There, there's some stories or legends, you know, that they would tie a rope around the waist of the priest in case something happened, in case he got too, you know, too close to the presence of God and was struck down. They'd drag his body out. Or maybe, you know, make a mistake, drop a candlestick or something. I mean, no pressure to our Advent candle lighters. Don't drop the candlesticks, right? But um, <clears throat> Zechariah, he sees this angel. He is startled. He is fearful. He's right there by the Holy of Holies. And he knows what this means. You know, you, you come into God's presence, and it's like, you're a dead man. So he probably thinks, this is it. Go into glory. But the angel then says to him, again, as angels often do when they interact with people in the Bible, the person is fearful, and then the angel says, fear not, right? Fear not. So they seem to sort of freak people out, but then they're always telling, don't, don't worry, don't fear not. The angel says, fear not. And then he says, your wife, Elizabeth. So this angel knows his wife's name. So your wife, Elizabeth, is going to bear a child, a son. Now next week, we're going to read on in this story, and we're going to see that this angel has a name. Anybody remember? His name's Gabriel. And so Gabriel is this angel, and, and then Gabriel, the angel, he goes on to describe that the, the, the child will be named John. So Zechariah and Elizabeth, they don't get to come up with the own, net, their, their own name for the kid. They don't get to come up with their own name for the child. He just says it's going to be called John. So if they were hoping for one of those very trendy baby names, they didn't get to do that because the angel already came up with the name for them. <clears throat> and the angel says, 
Um, he's going to be named John. He's going to grow up to be a national hero. People that you don't even know are going to rejoice at his birth. Um, because, not, not because he's going to be the anointed one, but because like Elijah, he is going to come to prepare the way for the one who will be the anointed one, for the one who will come to rescue people from their sins. John is going to make a people ready. He is going to make a people be prepared for the coming of the anointed one, for the coming of Messiah, for the coming of Jesus. So, all of that to say, that's the journey we're going to be on over the next couple of weeks, right? A journey to make ready a people who are prepared for Jesus. Amen? Yeah. Now, one of the ways... One of the ways we are going to do this is through this theme. If you see the theme on the slide here behind me, it says our Advent theme is A Weary World Rejoices. A Weary World Rejoices. You know where that's from, right? Yeah, the, the, the song, the O Holy Night song. We're actually going to sing those words in a moment, okay? And I hope that we don't offend anybody you know, who says, hey, you can't sing those words this early in the season, right? You got to save those for Christmas Eve. Listen, we will sing those on Christmas Eve too, but we're going to sing those words today because those very words are going to guide us through these coming weeks as we prepare for Christmas, as we prepare our hearts for the coming of the Christ. Now, if you were to plot out Christmas music on a spectrum, okay, this is kind of a rough and dirty Spectrum, but if you were to plot out Christmas music on a spectrum, and on one side of the spectrum you had <clears throat> worshipful reverence <clears throat> and theological depth, okay? Y'all with me? Worshipful reverence, theological depth over here. And if on the other side of the spectrum you had things like grandma got run over by a reindeer, okay? Are you with me? Grandma got run over by a reindeer, jingle bells, these, I mean, they're fun, right? And then over here, worshipful reverence, and theological depth. So if you were to take the Christmas carol, or, or really, if you were to go from the farthest place you could go from Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer, okay, the, the opposite extreme of that, right there you would find the, the Christmas carol, Oh Holy Night. Yeah, you with me? That's on the extreme opposite end of the spectrum from Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer. Okay? And you would find it right there. It is, you know, it's one of the most majestic of all of the Christmas carols. It is an enduring Christmas carol. Swelling chords, climbing to peaceful resolve. One writer put it this way, O holy night, it is glorious and yet serene with just a little bit of darkness mixed in. And we're going to learn the story over the, the coming weeks. We're going to learn the story behind A Holy Nine about the writer and, and, the, and the composer of the music and, and uh, the story behind it. It's really kind of interesting. It might not be what you expect, but isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing? This time of year, <clears throat> you, you might be walking through like a mall and there'll be Christmas music playing you know, on the, on the sound system. And you just might hear a Christmas carol like, Oh, Holy Night, like when you're in the mall doing your Christmas shopping. You might hear those words, 
Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul found its worth. Millions of people hear these words every Christmas. Millions of people are familiar with these words, are drawn to these words. You know, or you might be sipping on your holiday blend of coffee at that, you know, at that very famous cafe because it's holiday. You can't call it Christmas blend anymore. You might be sipping on your holiday blend of coffee there in the cafe, and you might hear a holy night played on the music there, right? And as you drink your coffee, you hear, fall on your knees. Oh, hear the angel voices. Oh, night divine. Oh, night when Christ was born. And isn't it wonderful, like, somehow this time of year, people, you know, just people, might not even be Christians, they're just more open to these words. And they're more open to this story, right? Something just rings true in people's hearts about the words of these carols at this time of year. And so we're, we're going to let the words of this carol sort of guide us through this season together. Now let me end with this, and then we're going to pray, and then we're going to sing, Oh Holy Night. We're going to do our best. We're going to do our best too anyway, because there's some high notes in there. But <clears throat> John the Baptist, we are told, he was born to help prepare a people for the Lord. So my question is this. How can we get ready? How can we be a people prepared for the Lord? How can we prepare our hearts this Christmas season? Well, I think the answer is this. Like Zechariah, we need to get alone with God. We need to spend some time with the Lord. You see, for Zechariah, for decades of his life, he had been a priest, right? He served in and around the temple. He prays a lot. I mean, prayer is like part of his job. But something different happens when Zechariah gets alone with the Lord. Something that's never happened before. And it's when, you know, it's when he finally gets alone with the Lord. He gets away from the busyness. He gets away from the crowds. He gets away from the noise. From the routines. Something different happens when he gets alone with the Lord. And I wonder... I wonder what it would look like for you and for me if we were to create some space to make sure we're getting alone, some time alone with the Lord. I'm sure some of y'all do this, do a wonderful job of this, but I, you know, I think generally we probably you know, all get caught up in the, the noise and the busyness. It's a very, very busy season around Christmas. And so what would it mean for us if we were very intentional as a people about carving out some time to spend alone with the Lord, right? To spend some time praying, to spend some time talking to God, but even more importantly, to spend some time listening, listening to the Lord and what He might have to, to speak into your life and to mine in this season. What would that look like for us? Right? And, and I mean, here's the good news, right? At Christmas, you know, the, the good news of Christmas is that God was willing and able to come to earth 
in the incarnation to put on flesh, to be with us and one of us and for us. And what that means is that we now have this unrestricted access to God. We have that. You don't have to wait to be chosen by lot from out of 20,000 other people. You have unrestricted access to God. It's wonderful. You can step all the way into the Holy of Holies. You can get alone with God wherever you are. You know, if it's in your bedroom, if it's in your prayer closet, if it's at your office, if it's over a cup of coffee, if it's on a walk out in nature, if it's here at the church, you can get alone with God. You have unrestricted access to God. So maybe this season, you just want, you know, you, you want to dedicate some time to get away with God, to settle in a little bit with God. Now, in my home, in my home and with my wife, Megan, we're certainly far from perfect in how we do this, but we have found that for us to get some time with the Lord, that we've got to do it first thing in the morning. And so we get up a little extra early, a little earlier than we really have to, so that we have some time to spend with the Lord, reading the Bible, these, these kinds of things. Because at that point in our day, our minds aren't yet racing, right? It's pretty calm around the house. There are a few horns honking, a few airplanes, but you know, generally it's pretty calm. There's no demands on our time from anybody else at, you know, then very early in the morning. And what we have found is that as the day goes on, it gets harder and harder to carve out that time. So for us, that's what works. You know, you got to figure out what works for you because, you know, the, the downside of our system is, you know, then by eight o'clock at night, we're about done, right? Maybe for you, it works better late at night. For us, well, we're asleep by then. Um, but I just want to encourage you, you know, to find that time to find, we're all different. We all have different routines in our life, but find what works for you, you know, and, and, if, and if this is not a practice you have right now, that's fine. Don't be discouraged. Don't be defeated. Don't feel guilty, but don't give up, right? Just do it, right? Just, just begin to, to press in. Begin to give yourself a few minutes at whatever time of day it may be that works best for your life. Maybe, maybe read a few verses or a chapter of Scripture, Right? Close your eyes a little bit. Begin to pray. Begin to, to seek to reconnect your life with the life of God. And the reality is this. That like Zechariah, we are all priests. We are a priesthood of believers. We all have access to God. And maybe when you spend those, those moments with God, when you draw away from the busyness and the noise to spend some time with God, maybe in your mind's eye, just imagine you're like Zechariah. You're going into the temple. You're going into the Holy of Holies. You're going into a very special place. And ask God to show Himself to you. Ask God to reveal Himself to you. To speak to you. God is still speaking. He wants you to recognize His voice. Now that might not be an audible voice of God. I mean, in my experience, that's not, that's not how I experience God typically. It's like an audible voice of God. But it may be some kind of prompting in your heart. It may be some kind of word or image in your mind. It may be some sort of, some sort of drawing you to a particular part of Scripture. 
right? Certainly God still speaks to us in His Word. Maybe as you're praying, maybe as you can get in a quiet place, you will feel and experience those promptings from the Lord. That is God speaking to you. And maybe for you, maybe for some of you, prayer comes very easily and prayer comes very naturally to you. You know, and maybe for some who are here, maybe for some it's sort of intimidating, right? Maybe it's a little intimidating for you to pray. But I would say this, just start to pray. Just start. Because that is a fabulous place to begin. And for some who are here today, you know, this may be very difficult this Christmas season. You may say, Pastor, I'm not even sure what I think about God. I'm not even sure if I think God exists right now. I say, okay, okay, that's all right. Well, you know, you could just start and you could just say that in your prayer. God, I don't even know what I think about you. I don't even know if you exist. I don't even know if you're real. But you could pray this. But God, if you are listening, show yourself to me. Break into my life this Christmas. Show me that you're real. And brothers and sisters, I think that is a prayer that God would love to answer. So you can even go with that prayer if that's where you are. So, with all of that in mind, let's now take a moment to pray, and then we're going to sing together. Jesus, we just want to take a moment now. We just want to come into your presence. Father God, we just ask that by your Spirit, you would speak into our lives now. We pray that you would help us to listen. We pray that you would help us to slow down. We pray that in a very busy season, you would help us to make space for you. Help us to get quiet amidst all the noise. So that in our souls, our souls would feel their worth in you. We love you, Lord. We long to know you more. We long for you to draw near to us. May it be so. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.